0: I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather. Now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family.
1: VGW Group. No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. See terms and conditions.
0: 18+. Welcome to World Footprints Radio, the show where we celebrate responsible travel, culture and heritage, featuring your hosts, Tanya and Ian Fitzpatrick. Now, World Footprints Radio.
2: Hello, everybody. Thank you for joining us today on World Footprints Radio. We're your hosts, Tanya, and Fitzpatrick, and we're coming to you from our studio in the metro Washington, D.C. area with a big yee
3: <laughs>
2: <laughs>
4: I'm sure uh, that will become uh, pretty evident what that's all about. Uh, first up on today's show, it's a behind-the-scenes look at the greatest outdoor show on earth, the Calgary Stampede. Well, cowboy up and hitch our horse to a chuck wagon as the Stampede's Keith Rutherford shares the heritage of one of the signature attractions of the Stampede, the chuck wagon races. Then Stu Reed introduces us to the young Canadians who will charm their way into your hearts as they do during the 11-day run of the evening show extravaganza that has become a key part of the Calgary Stampede for more than 40 years. They'll share what it takes to be a member of this Glee Club tradition, and let me tell you, they are some of the hardest working young people in show business today. And finally, it's off to the Sitsuka Nation, east of Calgary, to learn about the stories and music that have shaped the Blackfoot people, as Bernard Bearshirt tells us a story or two, and the young men of the Sitsuka Nation share the stories behind the songs they'll perform for our listening enjoyment. As always, if you have a question or a comment, write to us at comments at worldfootprints.com.
2: And, of course, you know, we look forward to you connecting with us through other venues like our social networks, Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, etc., and uh, also, you know, taking us with you on the road through our mobile application on Stitcher, and you can find all of those great things on our website at worldfootprints.com in addition to our newsletter.
4: The sound you hear is what it's like to ride a chuck wagon through the streets of Calgary. For many who venture to the Calgary Stampede, held every year in early July, the rigs that travel the streets are as close as one will get to recreating what it was like to be at the helm of a chuck wagon.
3: Yahoo!
4: As you can tell, riding a rig can be a lot of fun, but there's a real story behind the rigs that race in the chuck wagon races as Keith Rutherford of the Calgary Stampede's Chuck Wagon Committee tells us.
0: In the 1850s, there was a demand for beef in the marketing state of Kansas and the grass states of Montana and Idaho, and with southern Canada and the Saskatchewan Territory, which is now Alberta and Saskatchewan. And the only trouble with that whole demand for beef was all the beef was in Texas and Arizona. In order to get that beef to those various locations, they had to be driven, and there were no McDonald's, no instant breakfasts or anything Mm. of the sort. In fact, there was no way you could send uh, wranglers out on the road to drive cattle and feed them. There There were no such things. So after the American Civil War, there were some wagons left over, particularly surgical wagons surgical wagons, quite large, quite stable, and at the back they had a thing called the medicine box. The medicine box had uh, cabinets and drawers, etc., which are really handy. They took out all the surgical stuff and put knives and forks and tin cups and cooking pots and all that sort of thing in there, and they changed the name to the Chuck box, because Chuck is the the cowboy term for food. In fact, in some songs, you'll... You get the reference to Chuck. And that's what it means. So, a Chuck wagon is, in fact, a cooking wagon or a kitchen. Each, each wagon could take about 12 guys. And each guy would have five horses, maybe six, but certainly he would have five. He'd have a young horse that he was training. He would have a roping horse for when they had a rope. He'd have a cutting horse for when they had to break animals out of the herd. He would also have a horse that liked water wasn't afraid of water. wasn't afraid to swim or go across streams. Because between here and Texas, not only in those days were there no roads, there were lots of rivers and lakes and streams, and that sort of thing, and you needed a horse that wasn't afraid of all that. The other horse that he would have was a horse that he'd known for use. He would use that horse at night when he was uh, on the, one of the roundups, and uh was, generally speaking, an old friend. Very quiet natured, wouldn't wouldn't uh, uh, cause any kind of ruckus and get the herd moving again. Those drives... We're about 10, 12 miles a day. We're talking about 2,000 miles, so we're looking at five months or a little better on the trail, living outdoors, etc. And it was tough stuff. The chuck who had the chuck box at the back, had barrels of water on the side. They had bags of flour and raisins. And rice, because uh, the cooks would make raisin pie and rice pudding, etc., because the Stranglers all had sweet tooth. And that was one way of doing it. Another thing they had was sourdough bread. Sourdough is a self perpetuating uh, concoction. And to this day, you can buy fresh, or you can buy sourdough starter in Montana that had its origins in the 1850s. Still available. And as long as you keep it going, it lasts forever. The, uh, between 1865 and 1884, those guys drove six million head of cattle to the various marketplaces. It was a huge undertaking. In 1870, the Bar U Ranch over here uh, sent some guys down to, uh, to Helena and over to Idaho, and they bought three thousand head of cattle. Now, the thing that's interesting about it is they paid nineteen dollars a head for them. Nineteen dollars for $19 and 1870 with just about a whole year's wages. This is serious money. This this is a very, very big enterprise to have all those things down there. In 1884, there was a general roundup in the US where uh, 20 chuck wagons, 100 Wranglers and 500 horses rounded up 50,000 head of cattle over an area the size of Ireland. There was, since there were no fences, cattle spread out everywhere. Okay. Now, back in the in the early part of the 1900s, there was a Western showman and a Wild West promoter named Guy Weeding. And Weeding had seen chuck wagons, and what he wanted to do is include in a Wild West show a demonstration of of chuck wagons. Now those chuck wagons had all those barrels and things in them, the, end, uh, the bed was full of bank bed rolls okay. They also had a tent that you could extend out to cover the entire crew, especially the cook, who's the most important guy, okay. And uh, they had a stove that fit into a stove rack at the back of the wagon. So what they did in those demonstration uh, shows was, they would start with an unloaded wagon, load everything into it, to show how dexterous they were at loading stuff. They would cut around a figure eight uh, pattern in the infield, around the track, back, unload the whole thing, take out the stove, start a fire in it, and the first day to get smoke out of it was declared the winner. Now the one aspect that it did introduce was competition. And in those days there were four gentlemen that funded the, the uh, rodeo, etc. And he talked them into putting on demonstration races with truck wagons. Now these were working wagons in those days. Six local ranches sent wagons and wranglers to Calgary, which could take a couple of days to get here, put on a demonstration ra- race and went home. And they didn't get very much for it and the only thing they got was the ranch owners liked all the notoriety and publicity etc. and in 1923 they staged the first ever competition and one of the guys that was involved in that was a ranch owner known as Wild Horse Jack Morton who had two badgers as pets, so this was an unusual man. He also took his wagon downtown in Calgary which would have been open territory in those days, and he put on a breakfast for anybody that wanted breakfast. That was the very first Stampede breakfast for which now we are quite well known. In 1924, they did the same thing again with an unloaded wagon. They loaded it all up, drove it around, drove it around the figure eight, around the track, back in the infield, and started the fire. But a couple of guys soaked the wood and grass and kerosene, blew the stove all apart. So they banned the stoves from being lit on fire again. Since it was a bit of a competition now, uh, they lost the water barrels, they stripped the chuck box off the back, and they started to pick up the speed. In 1929, one of the guys showed up at thoroughbred horses rather than draft horses. The original wagons weighed two to three tons and they were not very quick. The first race was 3 minutes and 47 seconds. What you'll see tonight is under a minute and 20 seconds. They're all thoroughbred horses. Those wagons in those days were working wagons. They were different sizes, different configurations. All of these wagons are the same size and the same weight, including drivers. All of the horses come off the track. Now, the reason they come off the track is because they have medical records and you know something about those horses. Trying to raise a colt you don't know what it's going to be. Now a racehorse that's five or six years old has come to the end of his career. If he makes a wagon horse he just got a 20-year extension on his life because we've had lots of wagon horses go well into their 20s and with wagon horses when they're too old to race anymore they just go to the ranch and stay there. Uh, we've had quite a few retire in the last little while, and they're still at the ranch. That's are all that's left of the rigging to put the tent up okay?
3: and the stove
0: which used to be an iron block which weighed 50 pounds went into a rack that was only 3 inches off the ground and it was not enclosed, it hung out at the back of the wagon it was also the author of one of the worst wrecks we've ever had when a lead horse stepped in the basket of a wagon in front of it and went down and pulled all the others in after. After that happened, this was moved up, and the 50 ton round block was replaced by two rubber pails bolted together, so if you step on them and run over them, they will collapse. The figure-eight barrels that you'll see in the infield used to be oil drums, steel, oil drums. If somebody hit one or a gun under a wagon, it would knock the wagon open, or a horse would get hurt. The ones you'll see tonight are cardboard. You can hit them and crush them, do whatever you want to, we've got lots of them. Now what happens with the rovers that drove all those cattle up here, they are now called outriders and each rig has four of them. There's one there, one there, one here, and there's one at the front holding the lead team. Now when it comes to the teams. The two horses next to the wagon are called wheelers, and they're the bigger and stronger animals, and they do the majority of the pulling, and they follow the two in front. The most important horse is the right front leader, because that's the horse that starts the cut of the barrels. He's the one that pulls, the directs the wagon and the other horses around the barrels, etc., that's your most important one. His buddy, he'll be next to him, because horses normally come in pairs. Uh, They buddy up and they don't like to be apart from each other. The the one on the left side will be his friend and the two of them will, will do all that cutting and any wagon driver will tell you, you can win or lose a race in the first few seconds in the infield. If your lead team is really performing well, it gives you a tremendous advantage. Now, the guy at the front is just holding that lead team. When the Claxton goes, he gets them started, and then he gets out of the way. Now back here, we have a guy on this tent pole, a guy on that tent pole, and somebody on this. back in the days when they had to use a 50pound block, the guy throwing the stove or putting it in the basket would put, put the rope put his reins in his teeth. And I've actually helped a guy one day relocate his teeth because they were out there in the middle of the empty. Now, this is like, you can hold it with one hand, now it has to be on the ground, you can't pick it up like this, it must be touching the ground, same as these two, then he throws it up to the in there, and he's got his horse in one hand, so do these two guys, when that claxon goes, everything has to be loaded into the wagon, if you miss anything, or if these aren't in the right position, there are penalties, in 1925, one of the drivers decided cutting the barrels was just too long, so he didn't do it. And he won the race, but they assessed him a one-second penalty. And the next thing, the next time he did it, they gave him a two-second penalty. And he kept it up until the penalties hit ten seconds, then he quit doing it. That rule is still on the books. If you miss the barrels, it's ten seconds. If you don't throw these things right, to start with, there's a one-second penalty. If one of these things comes out of your wagon, or if you leave it behind, depending on which one it is, it can be between two and five seconds. Now, in a race, that's timed to a thousandth of a second, where tonight the top eight wagons are uh, only part of a minute apart. Uh, A second, one way or the other, can be a killer. In fact, last year, the, the tenth night in the last race, which is the big money race, $100,000 $100,000 to the winner. The guy who actually won by time got a two-second penalty and put him in fourth place. So he got 10000 rather than $100,000. He uh, started ahead of the barrels, was pulled and pulled, fell backwards off his seat when the class went. And it, things happened. Fortunately, it was a driver, not an outrider, that did this.
4: One of those Outriders, Keith referenced, we met at Road Square serving flapjacks and bacon from the back of one of the actual racing chuck wagons in the morning before the evening races, Richard Vincent. Reg Johnson drives the rig for the team that Richard is part of. Richard explains how the rigs and the western rural culture fits into modern day Calgary.
5: I grew up on a farm, and uh, Calgary has been a great place for... Uh, for the rural community, and if you really look at Calgary, the the, the under roots of Calgary is really ranching and oil, mm-hmm. and there's a real uh, there's a real combination of those two uh, those two uh, professions in this town. And so, if you look at the history of Calgary, it's really it's really around those two those two industries. Now, it's changed quite a bit in the last uh, four or five years, really, or ten years, but the, the heartbeat of Calgary is still ranching in oil and gas. From an outsider's perspective, uh, people look at the stampede,
4: they look at this western culture that's now here in the big city. that's still
5: thriving despite all of these changes that have taken place in this city and this region? Mm-hmm. Yeah, Calgary's, Calgary is an extremely progressive city. It's really built out of... Uh, it's kind of a, a melting pot of cultures, a melting pot of ideas, and as Calgary's always had this can-do attitude, and you know, if you, if you travel across Canada, and we do in our business, we travel from coast to coast, Calgary's probably one of the best cities as far as uh, entrepreneurism and, and ideas. What's special for you in terms of the Western culture and heritage from your perspective that helps you to connect with uh, the city folks here? Well, I think the, the Western heritage, as, as I said earlier, the, the 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 heartbeat of Calgary is still fairly rural, despite what you see downtown here. And I think for us, uh, working in and uh, living in town. Um, you'd be surprised on the number of people that actually associate with that rural background. So again, even people coming in, as you can see when you're downtown, all the people that actually dress up and try and get into the spirit of Stampede, it's actually quite an amazing feat when you see how people have embraced the, the culture of cowgain, you coming in would certainly see the amount of cowboy hats walking yeah, around yeah. the streets and people taking this in. Oh yeah,
4: I'm, I'm I'm here speaking with you and I've got on a cowboy hat and this is pretty much is about the only time that I would wear a <laughs> cowboy hat. I used to wear one back in the day when I was in Minnesota, but that's a different story. <laughs> yeah, that's right. But, uh, talk to me about driving these Chuck uh, wagons and kind of the history behind them and what what it really takes to kind of take, take one of these things around and guide horses with them as well because right. this is pretty
5: much one of the biggest things that people really love right. when they come to the Stampede. And it's uh, you know, unfortunately, when you look at what people see, they really see five percent mm-hmm. of the work that goes on. The actual work, you know, and we've got Reg Johnstone here who drives for us. Uh, the work that those those individuals do and we do behind the scenes is unbelievable with the with the care for the animals. Mm-hmm. Uh, the traveling for three or four months out of the yeah. year. And so, you know, we could, we could talk for two hours on what kind of goes on behind the scenes for the, uh, for the chuck wagons. The history of chuck wagon driving really goes back to the settlers mm-hmm. of, uh, of Western Canada because really the, the history of the chuck wagon is really all about the settlers coming west yeah. with their wagons and their families. And if you go back 45 years ago, the chuck wagon races actually look quite a bit different. They actually were about more the settler-based uh, competition, where they actually had to run around the track and then build a fire at the end. Believe it or not. Wow. And now they've really, uh, they've really morphed to where it's certainly a lot more competitive, certainly a lot more rigorous from a horse perspective. And certainly a lot more uh, uh, sport like than what it used to be, you know, even 40 years ago. But, but the nature of the chalk Wagons is all about the settlers coming west. Oh, we thank you so much for being with us and sharing some of that history. Thank I you. appreciate it. Thanks very much.
2: Coming up on World Footprints Radio, the Calgary Stampede's Stu Reed introduces us to the Young Canadians, a group of performers in the spirit of the TV show Glee, who happened to make the Calgary Stampede an entertainment extravaganza. To remember.
3: The,
6: the main part of our program this evening are the Young Canadians of the Calgary Stampede. Now, this is a youth performance group. They auditioned uh, for us to be part of our school program, uh, our Young Canadian School of Performing Arts. Uh, and when they graduate from school, they become members of our cast.
2: Next on World Footprints Radio.
7: Hey, this is Amy. I'm from Manitoba. Woo, Manitoba. I love listening to World Footprints Radio. rocks my socks. <laughs>
6: ViraTech is a publicly traded company that has created the first
5: biotech social network. Founded by Dr. Kevin Buckman, the company has built a unique platform that will allow biotech research to become open source for the first time in history. A breakthrough company in the biotech industry, ViraTech is publicly held, meaning anyone can
6: become a shareholder of the company. The trading symbol is Vira, spelled V-I-R-A. More information about Viratech is available via Yahoo Finance just type in the ticker symbol V-I-R-A.
4: Visit the Galapagos Islands. Meet polar bears in Canada. Zip wine in northern Italy. Explore the Hawaiian Islands aboard a luxury yacht and stand face-to-face with China's terracotta soldiers. Explore the world on a journey of a lifetime with World Footprints Discovery Tours. These tours give a unique view of the world in an intimate small group setting with the freedom to immerse yourself in local culture, learn, and make new friends along the way. Book early and save. Visit worldfootprints.com and look for discovery tours to begin your next adventure today
2: Hi, my name is Anna I'm from Romania, make sure you don't miss the World Footprints Radio every Tuesday
0: And now, more of World Footprints Radio with your hosts Tanya and Ian Fitzpatrick
2: Welcome back to World Footprints Radio I'm Tanya Fitzpatrick This next story really touches my heart. For more than 40 years, the young Canadians of the Calgary Stampede have been growing the next generation of performers with intensive after-school training in song and dance, and I'm so happy that there's such a strong emphasis on arts education here. Stu Reed of the Stampede's Grandstand Committee and the young Canadians he chaperones takes us behind the scenes of Stampede's evening show, Extravaganza, which is like a Broadway performance. And they tell us in their own words.
6: My name is Stu Reed and I'm Vice Chair of the Grandstand Committee here at the Calgary Stampede. Uh, welcome to our evening show. Welcome to Calgary, if this is your first time here. The, the evening show comes in two parts. There are the chuck wagon races and then our evening grandstand show. Um, it is a, a package starts at 8 o'clock at night. The trucks run until just about 9.30. We then have a half-hour intermission, which I'll explain in a few minutes why we need the half-hour intermission to get part of our stage set. Uh, and then our show starts and it runs for just about 82 minutes. Um, we have professional performers with us uh, from uh, Broadway, from Canadian Idol, from Cirque du Soleil. Uh, we have motorcycle daredevil teams that are jumping the stage while others are riding in a sphere inside the stage. But the, the main part of our program this evening are the Young Canadians of the Calgary Stampede. Now, this is a youth performance group. They auditioned uh, for us to be part of our school program, uh, our Young Canadian School of the Performing Arts. Uh, and when they graduate from school, they become members of our cast. We have three different groups uh, in our program. We have our juniors, there's Tegan and Nicole, our junior program, and they are children uh, ages 6 to about 10. Uh, some of it's a combination of age and height. We have our apprentice program, and they are 10, 11 years old to about 14, 15 years old. And then we have our senior program, so we have small, medium, and, and tall, and we have our senior program, and they are 14, 15 years old, up to uh, 20 years of age. Our oldest young Canadian this year is 20. She's a first-year university student, and this is actually her first year uh, performing with us in the school, but she wanted to, to have this opportunity to hone some of her performance skills. So I'm going to let these guys introduce themselves. So Cole and Tegan are two of our juniors. One of you two start. My
7: name is Tegan. This is my third year in young Canadian, and I started when I was about um, 9 or 8 and I decided to join because my mom teaches the juniors and pretty much ever since I was born I would always be coming to the show and I always wanted to be like the other kids on TV. My name is Cole, I'm 11 years old and I'm a junior male singer. Um, I've been with the company for 4 years. My first year when I was 7 was when I started, I had a principal role so I was one of the maybe say one of the special people in the show and after that I gradually began to really enjoy it. It's a really good experience I think. Hi, I'm Tyler.
1: I'm part of the Apprentice Male Singers Program. I've been in the Young Canadians cast for four years. I started when I was eight and now I'm 12 years old. Uh, I started as as a junior and I made my way up to Apprentice. I always enjoyed singing My elementary teacher uh, saw that I enjoyed singing a lot and her daughters were in the program, so she welcomed me towards it and uh, introduced me to a few people, and I joined the cast. I didn't really like dancing at first, I wasn't good at it, and as soon as I came to the Young Canadians program, I began to develop more skills towards dance. Hi, I'm Sante, I'm eight years old. I've been in the Young Canadians for one
7: year. Young Canadians is really fun.
8: I'm David Weems. I'm a senior male singer with the Young Canadians. I've been with the company for three years now. Um, I started in 2006 and um, I've been on and off since then. Um, uh, I do a lot of performing. I did a lot of performing before Young Canadians um, and I decided to make a career of musical theatre. And so I knew that if I wanted to do that, I needed to become a much stronger dancer. So I joined the Young Canadians. And um, I've now used what I've learned here, and I'm going to be going to Pace University in the fall to study musical theater and get my degree in that. The Young Canadians is an after-school school, so we, we all go to regular schools around Calgary, and then we come here three to four days a week to rehearse in the agric- above the barn in the agriculture building.
4: Now, how long has the program been around?
8: Uh, this is the 42nd year of The Young Canadians. Um, so, we've got um, a really deep history and a lot of really great alumni.
4: Any famous alumni?
8: Allie Bertram. Allie Bertram dance. Um, she was um, one of the dancers last year. Yeah. And she
6: was, so you think you could dance Canada winner. Yeah. So, yeah. Cool, I didn't know that. Yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah. And this year we have Canadian Idol winner Eva Avila and uh, Daniel Chalevre, who worked with Michael Jackson on his tour of This Is It. And we also have Taria, who has been in four Broadway shows and was the lead of Lion King. So
8: they're the this special guests of our show. They're not our. They're not from young Canadians. Yeah.
6: yeah. So the the school for the performing arts is uh, it's a scholarship program. When these kids audition, uh, if they're admitted into the, the school program, um, all of their dance, their vocal, their performance training is uh, paid for through the Calgary Stampede Foundation and a general gift from uh, Trials to Energy. And in return, as I said, when they uh, graduate from the school program, they become members of the cast, and then they perform with us for the 11 nights. Ten nights the Stampede plus the Sneak and they Ten nights
8: six two nights.
6: Yeah, so the first time in history we actually didn't run our show on Tuesday night. We didn't run their tuck wagon races. We had so much rain on Monday and Tuesday that it was... The first time we had to say unsafe to perform on stage, so yeah. So only ten point. nights this year. So what's what's the best night been for you guys? What's been your favorite night so far? I like the first night
4: because it was my first time. Yeah, were you excited nervous. Um, I was a bit nervous. Now, are you still
6: nervous now you go on stage? No. Maybe still nervous when you go on stage.
8: No, no, <laughs> no. no. I, I've I've done like. Four thousand performances or something like that. I, at this point, I'm kind of like, okay, let's go, put one shoe on after the other, yeah. and then you go.
6: Well, what about what about tomorrow night? When it's the last
8: night. I don't get nervous, but I will cry through Canada, my home. Yeah. It's a very emotional moment because every year we all know that a lot of us are moving on. There's a lot of people. I'm moving to New York in a month and a half, so I know that for the next. Eight, we spend so much time together, especially the senior company, because we, we build our social circle around the young Canadians, so like, in the last four weeks I haven't seen anybody who isn't young Canadian, but I spent like every waking hour with them, so on that last night when it's kind of like, okay, you guys aren't going to see each other as this group ever again, it's a really emotional moment for us all, so when we go up there and we sing Canada, my home, there's a lot of tears. <clears throat> it's, it's really powerful. Now, Tyler.
6: As an apprentice, how are you still get nervous? And how, how are you going to feel tomorrow night at your
9: last
1: show? Um, I'll be nervous on the last show like usual, but any night it always depends. I don't really sometimes. I'm not often nervous, but sometimes my nerves just build up so much that I uh, get really nervous.
6: And how was it on last Saturday night? We had rain. And it rained sort of late afternoon, early evening, it rained on the stage. What was it like performing on the stage in the rain with everything else going
8: on? I fell. You fell? Yeah, right. uh, Running out for um, the big end of act one piece. I ran out, I slipped, I fell. And that was fun and embarrassing, but (laughs) that's was fun.
6: You're a dancer, Tegan, so you you perhaps have more complicated moves. How were you on the wet stage?
7: I fell, and a few people. I, I actually hurt myself bad, and I was in the medical room. It was good, Yeah. and I was all wrapped up for a few
6: days. I should explain when when the kids audition. Um, the boys audition to be singers, but you'll see it from the show this evening, um, especially just towards the end of the first act um, the the boys are lift partners with our senior female dancers the girls audition to either be singers or to be dancers Uh, the dancers uh, are, are far more intensive in the dance training especially ballet uh, and tap, but the singers still get, uh, the, uh, the, the female singers still get a lot of dance training, and the female dancers still get vocal training, don't you? And Shante, you're learning how to dance out there too? You know, where, where can people see you during the show this evening? On stage. On stage. Yeah. Good place to start looking. Um, so, juniors, your numbers in the first act?
7: Okay, uh, I can put, um, Our numbers in the first act, um, on the first act is um, I'm a Believer, if you're familiar with the Neil Diamond song, I'm a Believer. Uh, there's that song, which the juniors are in, with The Apprentices. And then there's in, our, in the Michael Jackson number, which is a really fun number, my personal favorite. Juniors are in ABC, and that's a fun number as well. And then at the end, there's Canada, My Home, which is finale. And yes, yeah, so those are the three numbers that the juniors are in this year.
6: Tyler, how about the apprentices? Um, the are apprentices is
7: in um,
1: Believer medley, which is from Shrek. Um, some of the dancers are in Trick or Treat. Uh, the Michael Jackson number I'm in Don't Stop, and the Beat It slash March section, and then I'm in Canada My Home.
8: And. Um I'm in the opener, World Party section, um, I also do uh, Trick or Treat, um, and then the second opener of the second act, World Party section, and then Michael Jackson, and going into Tender My Home.
6: How many young people participate in the program? In any given year, we're somewhere between 170 and 190, uh, in part it depends on the additions. Uh, this year we're running about 182, 182, I thought we were 186, but we might be 182. We actually lost a couple of people, a couple of sprains and, <laughs> and limbs, so yeah.
4: Now, do the young Canadians perform beyond the Stampede? Do they do other things around the community
6: and have they traveled uh, as well? We, we stay relatively close to home, they have a Christmas performance, they perform uh, the, the Rotary Club uh, of Calgary, uh, the, uh, the kids do a uh, special performance for uh, seniors at Christmas time. They repeat that performance uh, for the public, and they did a special performance for some of the less fortunate families of Calgary this year. And then the YZs also produce and choreograph-, choreograph their own show in the spring, which is the graduation show from the school before they com- become members of the cast.
8: Um, this year we also got the opportunity, we performed for the Canadian Gemini Awards, which are a lot like the Canadian Emmys, and um, which was a really cool experience because we got to perform with um, uh, Corey Monteith from Glee, as well as um, the band Loverboy, um, we we did a we did a flash mob to everybody's working for the weekend, and it was it was a lot of fun. So that was a great experience. Yeah,
6: and when when we have special special events here, when the Queen visited uh, a couple of years ago, the young Canadians performed for the Queen. That was two years ago, three years ago.
8: Uh, that was five years ago. Oh no! Yeah, was it fight? No, no that was no that was on. six years ago because that was 2004 no that was the year before the centennial uh, anyway. They did perform for the Queen. I'm getting
6: old. I can't. I, it just seemed like yesterday to no. me.
8: The kids right now, this is one of the traditions.
6: Um, if they're leaving uh, the company at, uh, uh, tomorrow night, uh, they sign one of the bricks and they leave a message for the next generation of young Canadians. So well, I actually stopped. I found my sons last night. I read my sons. It's amazing how the kids understand what's come before them, but also they're just part of a, a company that's going to go well for them as well. So. This is part of the, the emotion that started taking up the last couple of nights of the show. I started to realize it's it might
2: be the end of their Coming up on World Footprints Radio, Bernard Bears shirt of the Sisiska Nation introduces us to the art of storytelling in the Blackfoot people. My
9: grandfather, uh, he gave me an Indian name, not Ghutasapoyotitopi. It means two yellow riders. And I remember in those years, I didn't speak a word of English, nothing.
2: Next, as World Footprints Radio continues.
5: Hi, my name is Timothy Kendrick.
9: I'm Grace Kendrick.
5: And we love World Footprints Radio.
7: And I'm a transplant from Michigan, here in Vancouver, and loving it. We love the radio.
5: Thank you.
0: I have a dream today.
4: Hi, I'm Isaac Newton Ferris Jr., President and CEO of the King Center in Atlanta. My Uncle Martin's words still inspire us today, but his vision cannot be fully realized unless we join together to strengthen our communities through everyday acts of service to others. Honor his memory this King Day and throughout the year
9: by volunteering in your community.
2: This message brought to you by the Corporation for National and Community Service, the King Center, NAB, and this station. Hi, my name is Marcia Alexion, and I'm talking to you from Vancouver right now I am originally from Brooklyn New York I've been living in Vancouver for about 20 years and I love World Footprints Radio
0: and now more of World Footprints Radio with your hosts Tanya and Ian Fitzpatrick
2: welcome back to World Footprints Radio I'm Tanya Fitzpatrick Bernard Bear Shirt an elder of the Blackfoot people one of Canada's First Nations introduces us his people, the Blackfoot. The Sisyphekai Nation, the home of the Blackfoot, preserves its culture through the oral tradition of storytelling. We learned through Bernard how the Blackfoot got their name on our journey to the Blackfoot Crossing Historical Park, just east of Calgary. Many stories that have been told over the years uh, about how uh Blackfoot Nation came to be the how the name uh Sisiska was came to be. What stories did you grow up with uh, that talks about early creation and and um the early days.
9: My grand my grandmother I-, I asked him one t- I asked her one time why is that we're called a Blackfoot and she told me during those times, there was a prairie fire and the Blackfoots. I guess they ran across the prairie fire, and that's why they're called Blackfoots. Yeah. That's what I was told, and uh, I was surprised to hear that. One
2: of those stories Bernard shares is the story of Paul in the spirit. A story he learned from his grandfather as he tells us in his own words. My
9: name is uh, Bernard Bearshirt from Siksikai. And this is where I was raised up here. The, uh, that's an old graveyard uh, where they buried the crease at one time. I guess uh, I don't know how that became as the picture because this is the Blackfoot mm-hmm. territory. And uh, I remembered my grand folks used to tell me there was in those years there was a lot of people that were buried alongside the hill and on top of the trees. That's why at times when we go around we find a lot of uh, uh, skeletons. Uh, In those years when I was a little boy but now I don't see them around anymore. So uh, that was the reality I came through. And uh my grandfather, the one that raised me up, Peter Whitepup. Uh he was a very spiritually uh I remembered in those years my grandfather uh he gave me an Indian name Natku Sokoyokitopi. It means two yellow rider. And I remember in those years, I didn't speak a word of English, nothing. I was raised up traditionally. And he was the one that raised me up and one time he approached me. So by then, I must, I must have been about 9, 10, 11 years old. Then, uh, <clears throat> I remember it, he told me that he had a vision that he dreamed about this one guy approach approaching him asking him for some help because this guy had cancer, and that time our people they had to go up to Edmonton for treatment so then the next day he came down, sure enough, he's dream came into reality about the guy that he dreamt about. And then, um, sure enough, the guy came. And his name was, uh, Paul. Then uh, he came down (laughs) and asked my grandfather, I came to ask you for some assistance. They really need help. And then um, my grandfather already knew why he came to the house because in, in his vision this guy had cancer, he had nowhere to go. My grandfather told me, I have to already know why you came down and we can talk about it. He says, I, I dreamt about you Peter, that was my grandfather's name. Come on, and that's why I came to see you. He says, well, I can help you out with your cancer. And then, um, how much money do you want? My grandfather told him, money is no value to me. When I help somebody out, I like to help out. It's not part of our our culture, our tradition. Then uh, he says, okay, I I will bring some things for you, or money-wise, is it okay? It's all up to you, whatever you want to do. Then, uh, so everything was all settled. Then he started the next day, started giving him treatments. And how strong he was in those years. My grandfather, here was my brother Roger, he's still alive today. At times we would make a lot of noise in the evening. In the evening, and then we would hear the spirits talking, just like a whistle of noise. Like that. Right away, my grandmother would tell us in Blackfoot, Mopeek, Mopeek. It means keep quiet. Mopeek. So then we. We would settle down and tell us, Oh, go to sleep. Oh, go. That's what it means. Sleep. Go to sleep. And then uh, I remembered this time went on with this guy coming to see my grandfather. And uh, at times my grandfather. He wanted to get his strength, his power, Uh, and then he would, uh, he used to wear a black hanky around here, and during those years we used to have a coal and wood stove, you pull out his black hanky and throws it in the fire about ten, fifteen minutes after it goes back over there, pulls it out, that thing never burns. Mm. He was the one that raised me up. And he had his power through the thunder. And he told me in those years, never to get a haircut, because I used to wear braids. My hair was up to here.
10: Mm
9: says, if you ever cut your hair, you will regret. And at the age of 13 years old, I had a haircut. Today, I still have a brush cut. Yeah. So he was the one that raised me up. And he told this guy here, whatever you do is do not violate my my treatments. Do not go back to the white man's hospital. Because if you should go back there, That's it for you, I can't do nothing for you, anything, anything for you. And then uh, somehow this Paul was manipulated by his wife to go back to uh, Charles' Campbell Hospital in Edmonton. He went back there, then uh, he came back. He was back to really skinny, skin and bones. Before he left he was back to himself, the big guy. So then uh he went up there and then he came back it was too late. And at times we would hear every time we go into town oh so and so uh they're having the awake for him, He's in a lot of pain. Of course in those years there was no such thing as uh painkillers or whatever to cure the pain. And then um what happened was, he dreamed about him coming over, but that never happened because the man was too weak. And then uh, he came, finally he told me this one evening, he was just getting ready, putting on his moccasins. And he likes wearing grandma's, the old-fashioned type of rubbers. The women, they used to wear those rubbers. They go up to here. He puts grand granny's rubbers on with his moccasins. And then he puts on his coat and says, I'm ready. Well, telling, Grandpa, where are you going? Well, they're coming for me now. Because the man, he's, he's going to go tonight. And sure enough, a car pulled up. Okay, Peter. It means, hello, Peter. Let's go. That's what's going on, they need you down there. By then, all this time, he was all prepared. He wrapped up all his medicines and got in the car and says, he shared this story with me. He says, when I was going, we used to live up here, then going down to this little Washington over here. They call this little flats, Washington. I don't know if you guys seen it, but anyways, he says, while we were going, I could hear the spirits talking in my ear. And by the time when we got down there, there was an owl sitting on top of the house.
3: Mm-hmm.
9: Saying, Then, um, by the time they got off the vehicle, just as before the entrance there, there's uh, an addition to the house. You seen a spirit standing there, not touching the ground, about this high. All dark. He says, "I just about, I just about couldn't make it through, but I fought my way and I went in there." As soon as I went in there, everybody was crying. Say, "What's going on?" And they just point in that room where the deceased was. He says, "He's gone." That's what it means in Blackfoot, Did When in there, the guy was gone. He came back and there's coal and wood stove was just red hot. This happened in the uh, earlier springtime. Pulls his black hanky out and throws it in the fire. Goes back in there. And the guy that was supposed to be dead, he brought him back to life. Hmm. And then uh, came back out and told the people, why don't you guys quit crying? He's okay, he's sitting up, he wants some water. Because he told my grandfather, and so thirsty I just went to sleep. And here he wasn't sleeping, he was dead, but Grandpa Peter brought him back to life. He came back and told the deceased wife, Mary. "Mopeet means keep quiet. He's okay, want some water. And everybody panicked. Some commotion going on. Gave him, brought some water over to her husband. Here's some water. And four times, he approached the people. Do you want him to live? It's up to you guys. Mm -hmm. Everybody said, they're just looking around at each other, no ants. Gave them time. Then he came back out again. Told them, do you want him to live? No. The fourth time, the, the deceased wife told my grandfather, It's okay, he's gone already. Just let him go. Okay, that's the way you want it. And he told, before the fourth time, he told them, do you want him to live? And they all said no. And told uh, the deceased wife, if you want your husband to live, you see that coal and wood stove, my black handkerchief in there, you can go lift up the lid and pull out my black hanky. You you won't burn your hands. The lady refused. So my grandfather pulled out his black hanky, never burned. So after that, the guy's name was Paul. He passed away 15 minutes after. He died of cancer. So that was the old guy that raised me up. Hmm. Yeah. He was the guy that, uh, that taught me about all kinds of things. What's going on here? Here in those years, nobody me. There wasn't that many Blackfoot. I would say there was to be no Black. Maybe not even 1,200. Yeah.
4: After the break, it's the music of the Blackfoot people and the stories behind it. Next on World Footprints Radio.
5: Ookie, my name is Shane. I'm a Blackfoot from the Six-Gun Nation. I encourage you to tune into World Footprints Radio and come out to Blackfoot Crossing Historical Park in southern Alberta to experience the Blackfoot people and culture. For the latest and
4: last-minute travel deals, visit the worldfootprints.com travel portal to find exclusive non-published sales on travel. Our Dynamic Travel Deals page updates daily with the latest sales from our partners. You can't find these deals anywhere else, and we've seen sales for $9 per night for hotels and $49 airline tickets. So stop by WorldFootprints.com to see where you can go for less. Also, make sure you visit the travel marketplace for sales on travel essentials and
3: services.
1: Hi, my name is Jeannie. I am from Fiji. I love listening to World
9: Footprints Radio.
0: You're listening to World Footprints Radio, awarded as the best travel audio podcast by the North American Travel Journalists Association. Here's Tanya and Ian Fitzpatrick.
4: Welcome back to World Footprints Prince Radio. I'm Ian Fitzpatrick. The music of the Blackfoot people holds a special place in the lives of the Blackfoot people. The drum, the songs, and dances performed by the men, women, and children of this proud people bind their culture and preserves it for generation after generation. We share some of the music and stories of the Blackfoot people as we experienced it one evening under the stars in the prairies of Alberta in the heart of the Siksika Nation. <laughs>
10: song that we sang is the grand entry and um in Paolo's uh, grand entry um that that's when that's the first song to start up the whole celebration that's when everybody comes in and dances eh? so. <laughs> Second song we sang for my daughter was the uh, Lady Fancy. And that that's more of a upbeat upbeat style, fast fast drumming. And her style of dancing originated from the butterfly. So that's where her, her cape comes in, the way she moves and everything. Yeah. Just supposed to interpretate the, the butterfly. Third song we sang for the ladies traditional, you know, that was a traditional dance that our people used back then. And um but what I was taught was that um, that dance was, was for our warriors for when they came home. When they came back from war, when they came back from hunting. You know, they would come back and our, our women would stand there and dance and basically celebrate that their men came safely and everything. So so that's the the purpose of that dance. These are just songs like I've handed down from singer to singer to singer. A couple, the first one was a, a new one that we, we made. These are songs that come um, to me. my cousin always tells me there's no way to make this song. It becomes,
4: <laughs> every song has a story, every song has...
10: Yeah. yeah, yeah, basically, um, the, each song we sing for each category, it, it, it's... it's, 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 it's uh, specifically for them yeah. so like, like um, the ladies traditionally we can't have like a, like a fast band, like, uh, beat because that's so cool Yeah. so every, every song has a, a meaning every, everything has a meaning yeah.
4: describe briefly the drum what it represents uh, to your people and what it represents to you personally in terms of the
6: playing, the song, and it as a symbol. Well, the drum
10: that we we sing on, the
3: drum, it represents our our, uh, people
10: that are in the circle. And the drum that we sing represents the healing of
2: We hope you enjoyed our show today and we always look forward to spending quality time with you and and certainly to connecting with you uh, during the week on Facebook, Twitter and our other social networks. So follow us on those platforms and sign up for our newsletter and travel deals from our website at worldfootprints.com. We're Tanya and Fitzpatrick, and we'll see you on the air again next week, same time, same frequency. And until then, we wish you blue skies and purposeful travel that leaves positive footprints one step at a time.
1: Hi, guys. My name is Sandy Best, the Sandy Best from Lake Louise. Where's Lake Louise? It's in Alberta. Alberta's in Canada, Banff National Park, Natural Beauty. The only place you should go with is World Footprints Radio. They spend their time looking at those special places that are not tourist traps, There are not thousands of people. For the best on the planet, go with World Footprints Radio.
4: World Footprints Radio is a presentation of Travel and On Media Productions, LLC.
0: All rights reserved.